happy Friday, or it's Friday as I record this message. If you need the greeting to be accurate, you're going to need to pause right here, wait a couple days, and then start on over. Either way, today, on the Cleric Swear Ringmail podcast, we're talking about being nice and why you shouldn't do it. Don't be nice to your players. Sweet. 300 orcs come in. Well, not necessarily. While 300 orcs may be a good and appropriate challenge for a high-level party or a party with a large retinue, for the most part, 300 orcs is going to obliterate your standard 4-6 to man array. So, as the ref, if your players are in a situation where 300 orcs may arrive, you're presented with a choice. Do you save them, or do you let them walk right face-first into it? This, I think, is a good segue into what I wanted to talk about. Adversary versus adversarial. First, we dive into the adversarial ref. All of us have stories, or have heard stories at a minimum, about that guy running a game. The referee who was out to win. The guy whose game, if the players got too much gold, if the players achieved their objective, and if he didn't end it in a TPK, that just meant he lost. A friend of mine comes to mind who just could not abide horses. For some reason, if you had a horse, including a paladin special mount playing 3.5, it somehow got kidnapped or killed. Horses be OP, y'all. I've heard arguments indicating that Gygax himself was an adversarial ref. Monsters were introduced, uh, the Bule comes to mind, the land shark, in response to player innovations. The Bule, segue, segue, was introduced to counteract cavalry. It would show up and eat the party's horses coming out of the earth. That plus mimics plus doppelgangers plus. Ooh, and rot grubs, and those beetles that look like gold coins. All manner of other small examples in the game where Gygax learned from what his players were doing and introduced a new element to counteract them that is painted as the hallmark of an adversarial referee. For that reason, subsequent editions of the game got softer. There's nothing wrong with being soft, if that's your kind of game. It's not my kind of game. And I don't anticipate that it is the kind of game for most people listening to this podcast. But the moral is, the softer game introduces characters that can't die, that have to come back. Introduces easy mechanisms to revive or survive in circumstances that, in older editions, you would just get splattered. Dying at minus ten instead of zero, for example. And because of that perceived gap in lethality, and I say perceived on purpose, you can run a very lethal new school game, the complaint of the adversarial referee is frequently levied as ammunition against OSR types. 
in defense of the OSR and in defense of Gygax, I would submit that the introduction of elements intended to counteract player learning is not the hallmark of an adversarial ref. It's the hallmark of a referee as adversary. But this is old school. You're calling him a referee, aren't you? Referees are supposed to be impartial. Yes, I am. And yes, they are. But consider that impartiality is in reference to the rules as written. The rules in the book, the Rule Zero addendums, that is, uh, campaign or setting-specific house rules. Referee being a neutral arbiter requires something to arbit from. And so your referee is neutral. He's not against you or for you, but the referee should strive to provide a challenge. If the referee is being impartial as it pertains to the established canon, the established rule set, what then is a referee as adversary? A referee as adversary is what I would describe the Boulet response to be. The introduction of the horse eater was not a way to nullify an advantage. The introduction of the horse eater was a way to change the battlefield. Say you go into a lair of kobolds. You catch them, uh, you see all their tripwires, and you learn that you can cut them or step over. Then you come back, and what a surprise, there are now pit traps, there are now pendulums, there are triggers that are no longer on tripwires. Is that your referee being adversarial, taking away what you learned? No, that's the kobolds adapting. If you can solve every challenge the same way, what's the point? That gets boring. As such, the game and your adversaries should be organic. It should evolve based on what the party is doing and provide fresh, interesting challenges. The same puzzle room over and over quickly becomes rote. And if your puzzle solving becomes rote, why not just add a puzzle solving X in six roll? Because that takes the fun out of the puzzle, that's why. So, if your party puts itself in a position where it's going to lose, don't rescue them. Force them to think on their feet. Those 300 orcs, they are only going to be three or four across if you can get yourself holed up. And at that point, you may be able to negotiate your way out. Likewise, in a wilderness scenario, you can more easily evade 300 orcs than 300 orcs can evade you. Why not follow them, tail them, figure out where they are, and go after their treasure when they're not at home? As such, being nice to your players will damage their enjoyment because it will reward success and failure the same. Exactly the same? Well, no, of course not. But the point is, if there are no real consequences for failure, then the benefit of success is dampened. It doesn't mean as much anymore if we come out of that close battle, beaten and bloodied, couple henchmen down, but victorious. That doesn't mean as much if we know that had we had a few more rolls go south, had the adversary had an ace up his sleeve, that we know that the referee would have saved us. That takes the sweetness away, and it waters down the victory like ice and whiskey. And as everybody knows, you gotta have the stones. So, 
them's my two coppers running in on this little rant for this afternoon's commute. And I will leave you with this. Do you have the stones to be mean to your players? Hey, Taylor. Uh, catching up with your podcast. This is Randy from Biggest Geekus. Interesting that you found Step Zero in 3rd Edition uh, Player's Handbook. That's the one I found, and I commented on Jason's site as well. I do think that and most of the others do lean toward Rob's interpretation, but hey, you can do whatever you want with it, or you can throw it out. It's just a rule like any other. So I don't really care, but I thought that uh, you did a good job uh, going through those. So anyway, keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Absolutely, my man. And I think throwing out Rule Zero is truthfully one of the most uh, true-to-spirit uses of Rule Zero. That is, if I choose in my game not to deviate from standard, I don't have to. point of the rule there is that the game I run, the game you run, the game anybody runs, should be their own. I did hear your call-in on Jason's show. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was great minds think alike. If I'm ever running a game up your neck of the woods, you are absolutely welcome at my table. I promise to hand you the Rule Zero Handbook of my deviations up front in advance. Delve on, my good dude, and thank you for calling in. It is great to hear from you, and it is great to hear from a whole bunch of folks. So, if listeners, you would like to get involved in the conversation, do head right on over to Clericsware Ringmail on Anchor and drop me a message. In the words of the Anchorite Emissary, or Anchor Sari, I guess, Jason Connerly, I'll put you on the air, make you famous. And now I'm going to go where I think the clickbait title of this episode implied I was going to go. Don't be nice for the sake of being nice. So, C-dubs... That is a really dumb self-nickname. Are you telling me I need to be a troll on the internet to content creators? No, I'm not. When I say don't be nice, what I mean is don't be effulgent. If someone did something right, if they've authored a new system that introduces interesting and creative elements to play that don't compromise the old school spirit, if they've written a module that combines elements or introduces elements into a cohesive and interesting experience and challenge for the party, tell them so. Tell them about their successes. We want to promote successes and we want to encourage new content. That's the lifeblood of the movement. What we don't want to do is to encourage crap. Well, if you said I'm supposed to not be nice, that means I should attack people for their failures, right? No, it doesn't. When I say don't be nice, in terms of people producing poor quality content, be constructive. Help them to become the good content creator. Very few things in life are all bad. Consider the classic John Stalvern Waited. That was probably the worst written fanfic in the history of fanfic, yet it achieved memehood before memes were a thing because it was funny, because it achieved humor. You gotta look for the good in what is being produced and tell the creator about what they did right. In the same sentence, in the same review, tell them what they could do to improve. 
did I produce an adventure that introduced some cool elements? Did I put together an adventure that had a cool puzzle in it, but the rooms are kind of linear and the factions don't matter? Tell me that. Tell me that I need to loop a little bit more, that I need to provide alternate avenues to the floor plan so that the mapper isn't bored. Sometimes you may find it difficult to find something to praise. When those times happen, find something, but be tactful. Balance criticism with compliments and make sure that your criticisms provide an avenue to improve. That's the key. So in the example I gave, I, get, I did one thing right and two things wrong. Tell me about the thing I did right and then suggest how to resolve the thing I did wrong. I'll come up with a second draft and who knows, that second draft may have more to fix, probably does if I'm only being told about the one or two things I screwed up, but knowing how to make a better adventure, producing that better content, I'm going to get better as a writer and I'm going to be able to contribute more to the larger community. If you can't say something nice, then don't say something at all. That is the single most destructive thing that you can do apart from straight up tearing somebody down when it comes to creative content. This happened to me in college, so I'm not just talking out of my When I was in college, I took some creative writing classes. I fancied that I was good at it because people kept telling me I was good at it. But looking back, I had one professor who flunked me on the first thing I produced. Well, not flunk, they gave me a C, but that was a shock for me. I'd never done a C-grade fiction before. Looking back, some of the garbage that I had produced prior to that class was legit garbage. Now, some of it was really great, so I'm, I'm not trying to say that I sucked and my mom was trying to make me feel better. Where I'm going with this, if I had been told about my successes only, I didn't realize I had failures. I didn't realize I had shortcomings. What that other professor did, he provided a service to me by showing me what I did wrong, by providing me that kick in the pants to try to dig deeper, to try to do better, to try to do new things, to try new techniques, to expand my horizons. He did me a favor and it improved my writing overall. The writing I produced for that class, garbage. That professor had a super for controversy. First story I wrote was about finding Jesus in a jail cell, C. Second story I wrote about beating your kids, A plus, with a comment on the top that said, I can't believe how much you've improved. Well, I hadn't improved. I just noted my audience, but that's not the point. I do credit that professor for helping me to become a better writer by one, knowing what I needed to write, two, by identifying that I do indeed have failures, but three, like any other shortcoming, I could make up for it. I could build a skill where there was a shortage before. So to conclude, and I guess I seem to be very hot under the collar about this topic. There's a lot of sensor bleeps. Uh, 
rolling in. Why am I not using bar horns instead of sensor bleeps? That would be so thematically appropriate. But anyway, the moral of the story, when somebody does something right, praise them for it. When somebody does something wrong, help them to overcome. And just because you like someone, the, 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 just because you like someone is not a reason to forego criticism for fear of hurting their feelings. Is it possible that people are going to take it wrong? Yes. In my experience that I talk about, I took it wrong the first time. I hated that professor. I don't hate him anymore. I didn't hate him a semester later when I took his advanced class because I figured out that what he was doing for me, helping me to become a better writer, he was not afraid of student antipathy. He was not afraid of hurting feelings because he knew that in order to grow, you have to understand where your shortcomings are. A man cannot progress without suffering because he is both himself the sculptor and the marble. Hopefully editor Taylor will come back and identify who said that. The actual quote that I was looking for, to progress again, a man must remake himself, and he cannot remake himself without suffering, for he is both the marble and the sculptor. In order to uncover his true visage, he must shatter his own substance with heavy blows from his hammer. Quote by Alexis Carrel, a French surgeon, biologist, and Nobel Prize winner, huh, also member of the ultra-nationalist PPF in France and investigated for collaboration with the Nazis under the Vichy regime. Uh, maybe I shouldn't use that quote. And to synopsize, the best thing that you can do for the community and for a creative friend, or the best thing you can expect from your critics and your friends if you are a creator. Honest praise paired with honest criticism and constructive advice. Anyway, them's my two cents, and hopefully I can live up to my own advice. Write on, listeners. Write on that others might delve. Pursuing Darkness by artist X. Take Rooks, released into the public domain and made available on freemusicarchive.org. Sound effects used in the making of this product retrieved from Mixkit.co, used under the Mixkit sound effects free license, or from SoundJ.com and used in accordance with the SoundJ.com terms of use. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The Clear Swearing Mail podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except licensing. Clear Swearing Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clear Swearing Mail podcast, you agree to the provided term. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clear Swearing Mail at the prescribed methods provided on the Clear Swearing Mail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an